Welcome to the May the Smoke Be With You podcast. And now here's your host, Joe Levitt. Hey folks, welcome into this week's episode of the May the Smoke Be With You podcast. You know, as you uh, try to become that at-home barbecue pit master, as you try to master the smoked meats, there is always one kind of meat that's looming out there that is kind of the pinnacle, that is kind of the holy grail of smoked meats, and that's brisket. And it's uh, it's that way for me, and I think it's that way for a lot of pit masters. And uh, I thought this week it might be good to talk to an expert when it's uh, when it comes to brisket. And this guy calls himself the brisket boss on Instagram. And I tell you what, you have to, first of all, just stop this recording right now, as long as you promise to come back. Stop this recording and go and follow brisket boss because you are going to see some of the most beautiful uh, brisket, some of the most beautiful brisket bark you've ever seen. So go give him a follow. But I'm thrilled to have him here on the podcast today. So please welcome in the brisket boss. Cody Scott. Cody, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. And uh, I appreciate your kind words. That's really great. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so so you're in Denton, Texas, and uh, and currently you work for uh, Hurtado uh, Barbecue. Is that That's right? That's right. Uh, I'm actually one of the only people that work in both restaurants right now, both the Fort Worth, Fort Worth location and the Arlington location. All right. And uh, and you are a pit master there, yeah? Yeah. Um, I I try to stay humble. I, I kind of the the term pit master is is used loosely <laughs> these days, but uh, yeah, I cook barbecue and specifically uh, I'm the head brisket cook there. So, all right. Well, let's let's talk about let's talk about that word pit master. So it is it's probably thrown around a lot more. Probably Instagram, uh, social media is to blame for some of that. Yep. Uh, people that uh, get a, a a grill for Father's Day and uh, their kids buying pitmaster shirts, and all of a sudden they're on their Instagram profile saying they're they're a pitmaster. Um, what do you think makes a pitmaster, or makes it where you can say, "Hey, I'm Cody Scott. I'm a pitmaster." I don't know. Um, it's that's tough. We we talk about it a lot uh, in the industry, uh, and uh, I come from a martial arts background, and uh, so. The idea of mastery of something is, you know, taking decades to really do. And uh, one of the things I love about barbecue is that it's been done for hundreds of years. And there's guys out there that were cooking barbecue when my parents were kids. And um, so for me to come on the scene and just assume that I'm master level is, uh, I think, tough for me. Uh, I try to do the best I I can. I try to learn from the best people around and do the best I can uh, in all aspects of barbecue. But my forte, I would say, is brisket. That's where I'm. I'm aiming uh, my focus at at this point in my journey. When when you look around the barbecue scene, when you're you're there in Texas, which is obviously a just a hotbed. It's it's mecca, especially for beef for for brisket. Yeah. Who who would you say are are two or three guys you would say those those are pitmasters. Like without question, anybody that meets these two or three guys, you'd say they are pitmasters. And you're not going to offend if you forget. If you're like, oh, I didn't name this person. Oh, yeah. um, it's it's tough. Um, I I worked for Terry Black's uh, barbecue before I worked at Hurtado's, and uh, I got to see uh, a lot of great pitmasters there. Um, uh, I would say Mark Black is 
is somebody that I really look up to. Um, and, uh, I would say another guy that, that really helped me along that I think he puts out tremendous barbecue and, and everything he's done would be uh, Chud, you know, from Leroy, Leroy yeah. and Lewis. He's, uh, yeah, he's definitely a stud in, in my book. And, uh, I'd say my, the guy that, that trained me, um, in brisket, my, what I, my papa, uh, of barbecue, his name's, uh, Mike. And, uh, he's just an outstanding guy. And, uh, he's not really in the, the social media or anything like that or big, but, right. uh, he's, he's one of the, these guys that are out here in the pits. That's just an absolute, uh, legend. And, uh, just working it out every day without the fame and without the money and everything just for the love of barbecue and just smell smells like smoke uh just there for the passion for the love for to feed people uh that that's great um so let's let's talk a little bit about just you and and your journey did you grow up in a household around around barbecue uh honestly i i didn't uh my my parents are both you know, 60 hour a week workers. And, um, so it was a lot of hamburger helper growing up and, uh, I fell in love with, with the cooking channel young. And, uh, I started cooking young myself and, uh, that sort of graduated to, to, as a lot of us guys, we like to cook outside. So doing steaks and burgers and things. And, mm-hmm. and I finally found brisket and, uh, thought it was just the Holy grail. And, uh, I specifically started learning how to cook on an offset to cook brisket. And, uh, that's been my journey since then. The only other really experience I had is my, my grandfather was a farmer in Nebraska and he did, uh, in the pit, uh, underground cooking that I got to see growing up. And I really liked that, but I haven't got to do too much of it. So going back, your parents worked a lot and you were watching, cooking channel, food network. Yeah. Uh, and so you were making dinner kind of for yourself sometimes or for the family, they would come home and, and there'd be something that, that Cody made for dinner. Is that kind of like what, what was happening at a young age? You know, I was, I was doing the spaghetti and meat sauce, uh, dinners for the family and, you know, following simple recipes and whatnot. But, yeah. uh, it was just something I kind of took to that. I, I enjoyed, uh, cooking food. Did you, uh, did you, did you make some really bad dishes back then? The family come home and they're like, what, what were you doing? You were like, I was trying to be Emeril. Emeril did this thing and, and he just said, bam, and it worked out. Like- uh, it, well, it's, it's funny because my family is, uh, they're very much not salt, uh, and pepper people, you know, they're, they're kind oh of the, the stereotypical bland kind of food people. So I've definitely salted out my, my parents pretty bad with a lot of food growing up. Um, so yeah. Where, where did you grow up? Where was home? Uh, I'm originally from Southern California. Okay. All right. So, so you, you grew up at home, uh, you were kind of fell in love with cooking kind of in an early age food network cooking channel. Uh, and you kind of mentioned, you know, at some point, you know, guys get outside, they're attracted to fire. All guys, I think in their hearts are pyromaniacs. And so yeah. if you can go- combine like a fire and like some, some good outcome, yeah. uh, it feels like a good time as far as I'm concerned. Right, absolutely. Uh, when did, when did that first kind of barbecue experience? Cause it didn't happen. 
I guess at home, dad wasn't cooking on an offset or, or anything like that. So when was that first experience when you had barbecue and you were, you, you kind of were like, what is this? Um, you know, I, I grew up eating barbecue a lot. Um, there, Southern California doesn't have the greatest barbecue scene, but it has a scene. Um, mm-hmm. uh, tri-tip out there is fantastic. And, yeah. um, I grew up in a lot of Mexican food, so no wonder I ended up at Hurtado's, but, um, yeah. you know, it was, uh, I would say the, the YouTube Texas barbecue scene pulled me to Texas to do it for real. Um, okay. I had a, a career in California. Um, I was a nurse out there, uh, and I finally decided, uh, that enough was enough and I was coming to Texas and I was going to just work at it until I was great at it. And I'm, I'm in the beginning of my journey doing that. So how, how long have you been in Texas? I've been in Texas about two and a half years. Okay. So you really, I mean, you're, you're fairly new, <laughs> like on the, on the barbecue scene itself. All right. So you, you show up in Texas and, uh, do you, you just walk up to Terry Black's and, and just apply? Uh, like, like, yeah, I, I got a job at the, the, the Denton Rudy's. Um, okay. I yeah. think the first week I got in Texas and I worked there for two weeks and then I drove down to Terry Black's and, uh, you said I'm experienced. Well, I, I, I told a- him I have no experience <laughs> because I was afraid that, uh, Rudy's would actually be counterproductive for me being hired. Um, but I, I told him about my passion and I had been cooking in California. I'd been cooking brisket in California for probably two years at that point. Uh, just okay. not professionally. Um, I was a, a welder in high school and I, I built my own pit out there and, Very cool. um, I would do small catering events and cook for friends and I cooked a lot of brisket on my own. And so I had a little bit of cooking experience. I could definitely run an offset, um, and they told me that if I did good as a cutter for a little bit, that they'd put me in the pit. And I think I was a cutter there for three weeks, maybe a month. And they started putting me in the pit. And uh, I was in the pit for a year uh, when I left and went to Hurtado's. All right. So talk to me a little bit about cutter. Now, for those who have not visited uh, a Texas legit counter style service place, um, I'm assuming cutter means you're cutting to order. Yeah. Or, to- or and so not, not trimming you're, you're on the, you're on the customer facing side. All right. So this would be somebody walks up and says, I want uh, a half a pound moist and give me, you know, uh, you know, eight bones of ribs and sausage and that kind of stuff. Um, what, what are like annoying things that people do when they come up and, and order? Cause I don't want to do those things. Uh, but I get so giddy when I show up in Texas, uh, and I just, I just want it all. Um, so what, what are, uh, like what are annoying traits for, uh, barbecue people to the cutters? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you two right off the, the bat, uh, that get us. And I know you'll never make this mistake, but, um, uh, being asked if there's gluten in our meat is, uh, oh, yeah, okay. one. <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorites. Um, yes. But my absolute favorite is when I'm told my ribs are undercooked because they're still pink and blood in the inside. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, my undercooked fall off the, the bone ribs 
with a nice smoke yes. ring have blood in them. So it's yes. it's fun explaining to them that they're pulled if they're falling off the bone, they're probably pulled at two oh five, two oh seven. Right. And, yeah, there's a there's a reason right. for that. And there's there's yeah. not even blood in it to begin with. So but yeah, those are two kind of pet peeves I think cutters get a lot. Um I don't mind if you do big orders or asking questions. I like that stuff. Um, you know, a cutter is there to be the ultimate customer service person and you should have a joke and you should have good presentation and be able to make people smile. And it's, it's a, I'm very happy that I was able to work, uh, basically block one at Terry Black's when we're mm. really, really busy and learn, yeah, learn the ins and outs of cutting because it really helps uh, understand the whole process when you're cooking barbecue from, from, you know, we get it in a bag and it goes to the trimmers and it gets trimmed down and seasoning and cooking and then storing it in a warmer to the cutter's hands to how it's plated. So it's, it's important to understand all facets. Yeah. And I think that that cutter role from the outside, as, as you kind of talk about it, I think is probably overlooked, uh, from at least from the, the consumer side, but I can honestly say, I remember those, those enjoyable experiences that I've had with a cutter, uh, that make it a little more enjoyable. If that person's having fun, uh, I'm a little more engaged. There's probably a good chance I might decide to up that order a little bit. Um, and if nothing else, I'm probably going to tip you and the the person at the cash register quite a bit more. So that person running the register probably wanted you to have some good jokes, to have some good presentation. Right. Uh, and uh, so that, that that's cool. So uh, you went from kind of working at Rudy's and let, let's talk about Rudy's. All right. Um, Rudy's was really one of my first kind of Texas barbecue experiences. Uh, and I'm even to this day, I'm not mad at it. Like it's, you know, it's for what it is like, it's, it's kind of mass production. I think at a pretty, pretty high level, it's not, it's not fancy. Um, I've never had like a bad meal at, at Rudy's, um, but does it get kind of like a bad name, like uh, like from you guys? I, I think uh, I think in the craft barbecue scene, you know, it's kind of looked down yeah. upon, um, and and it shouldn't be, right? Uh, I I support anybody, even backyard chefs that are out cooking outside. Get outside, tackle uh, that cook that you want. I, mm-hmm. you know, and Rudy's does a lot of things really, really well. Um, yeah, you know you make jokes about Rudy's until you look at how much money they make every year. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, very few craft barbecue restaurants can keep up and cause they do a lot of things right. And yeah, it should be respected no matter what, if you're in the, the mass production market or the craft scene, um, or in your backyard, we should respect each other. And yeah. And I don't, uh, I don't, I don't like to put sauce on my, Texas barbecue, right. but I will bring home that Rudy's sauce from whenever I visit. I, I love it's it. I think it's really it re- good. Sauce. It really is good sauce. They, they can't spell sauce. <laughs> they spell it weird. They do, but uh, but it is it is really good. Uh, so all right, so you went from being on the cutter station to uh, jumping over to the pit room, right? 
Now, as part of the pit room, like, are you doing any of the trimming or is that a different team? Um, are they just handing you a seasoned brisket and you're taking it? It, it depends on the restaurant. Um, Terry Black's, they have a, a team of cutters at Hurtado's. Um, we're doing all the trimming. Uh, we're doing all the seasoning. We're doing all the prep work. Uh, so it's a lot more labor intensive, but it's a lot more um, fun because you get to see, like I was saying before, the, the whole aspect. You get to, yeah. you know, at Terry Black's, you could get, you get a brisket that's been seasoned, trimmed perfectly, and you're putting it on a a smoker. And when you pull it off and give it to a cutter, that's it. That's you know yep. nothing else. You could you could literally not know how to do anything else besides just cook a brisket. Yeah, uh, at Terry Black's uh, visited the one in um, visited in Austin, and then the one in Dallas, and the one in Dallas uh, uh, there in Deep Ellum. Uh, was kind of just walked into that pit room that's right there kind of open uh, and do you guys do the uh well you may not do it at Hurtado but they they had like a almost what I'll call like a a tinfoil cone there at Terry Black's in in Dallas that they put on the one side of the brisket where the heat was I guess coming from almost it was almost like the the nose of the space shuttle like a like a deflector plate kind of thing uh is that is that just kind of a Terry Black's thing or is that something that... No, I, I tell people there's probably about 12 things that I know of that you can do to a brisket that may give you a little bit better results. Um, so uh, the, the what they're foiling is the the lean side of the flat. You know, you have your, your moist side and your lean side. And then mm-hmm. on the left and the right of the lean, there's going to be a lean side that's even thinner. And that side's going to yep. curl up. And so they're foiling that curl up to try and protect it because a thin piece of meat in the air of an offset is going to char. Um, so they're trying to, to save against that and then foiling it. You might relax the muscle to get it to lay down so you don't get so much pulling on your lean. Gotcha. Uh, so that, I kind of jumped ahead there because mm. that just kind of popped into my, into my head. Yeah. So let's talk about trimming okay. because I feel as if this is this could be for some folks kind of a make or break point that they may not even realize that they're kind of setting a brisket up for maybe failure or maybe not to be as, as good. I look at your briskets on Instagram and they are just that perfect brisket shape. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a rounded rectangle. It's not quite oval, but I mean, there's, there's some round edges to Mm it. Uh, when when I get a brisket and I go and I buy a full packer, I have a very hard time cutting away all that meat. So tell me why I'm doing it wrong by leaving that extra meat on it. You're not doing it wrong. Uh, oh, thank yeah, you. Finally, I mean, somebody told me something good. Uh, Rudy's, we talked about them before. They do not trim a single brisket. Um Right. Uh, plenty of restaurants don't trim, and I know plenty of backyard uh, barbecue guys that don't trim, and that's absolutely fine. There's pros and cons to everything that we do. Um, now, I don't mind trimming off the meat because it's going to give me a little bit better end result. When we, when I take a brisket to a cutter, I want every single slice from from front to back to be servable. 
I want as little waste as possible. And I want every mm-hmm. slice to be perfect. I don't want the cutters to have to pick and choose what they're going to use and what they're not going to use. Right. Uh, another reason why we trim so aggressively is that a lot of people don't like a lot of fat. Um, I know fat is flavor. You hear that kind of stuff all the time. But sure, when you're looking at uh, a ribeye's fat compared to a, a brisket moist ends fat, it's a different ballpark. And yep. nobody wants a, just a ton of fat sitting on their plate, so they're going to scrape that fat away. Well, that's or pay or pay twenty six dollars a a half pound. Or right, right. Is, you know? And and then when you scrape that fat away, or when that fat's taken off by the cutter, that seasoning that's sitting on there is no longer going to be on that, and you're going to get sort of that roast beefy brisket taste. Mm. Um, for me, I I I'm comfortable pulling. I'm, I'm happy with kind of the overall cook. So I'm focused more on my bark and how it looks concentrating on the lean side bark. A lot of people are having runs, um, on their leans and I still do too. I'm combating it every day. That's, that's half of my job is, is chasing after these leans because I want every slice of even that lean to have that perfect bark and that perfect seasoning distributed evenly across the entire thing. Anywhere there's a smudge and you're seeing just raw fat, their seasoning's gone from there and Mm -hmm. you're not getting the same slice. So also I think for me, when, when I trim these things away, I'm I'm throwing them away. I might keep a little of the fat and I might make some tallow or, you know, like, but for the most part, if I'm cutting away meat, like, because I'm not, I'm not making sausage at home, but there at the restaurant, you guys are repurposing a lot of these trimmings, I'm assuming into other things. Right. Um, I think, yeah. I think 80 to 90% of all Texas barbecue restaurants are, are using their trim. Using the trim. Uh, our trim is a hundred percent used. There isn't anything that really makes it to the trash unless it, it's, literally too small to you. It was just like a tiny little piece. Uh, all the birria tacos at Hurtado's barbecue are made with our trim that's reseasoned. And then I make a birria stew with consomme. And, uh, that's what all the tacos are is made out of that meat. So you're getting a hundred percent prime brisket and, uh, wow. we're able to save some of that money that we would waste by throwing away that much product so that our, our brisket slices are great. Our briskets look gorgeous. And, uh, we have great tacos as well. Yeah. And you're, you're using that. It's not going to waste now, but because you're getting a little more uniformity, you're, I think cutting, uh, quite a bit off the, the flat side, especially where that, you know, can get real thin. Um, you know, you're able to get what's, do you have an optimal kind of like, um, like width, uh, you know, or height of that brisket at the, at the bottom of the flat. I know it's probably just eyeball for you now where you're like, yeah, that's good. But are you looking for, you know, an inch or are you looking for an inch and a half? Is there a, a gauge? I would like as thick of a lean as possible, right? We'd always want that. Um, but really what I'm looking for when I'm trimming is I want them to be even from left to right. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if it's a, a, a big old, uh, brisket that's, you know, two inches thick then I want both sides to be kind of similar to that. And so like when you get that skirt of the lean, I want to cut off that, that really thin so that you've got almost an even to left to right. Cause that unevenness is what's going to cause your cupping 
which is going to cause mm-hmm. uh, your pulling on your lane, which is going to mess up your bark. Yeah. And so I've noticed on your Instagram and you mentioned earlier, you know, you're really working on that, mm-hmm. uh, that lean side to, to prevent the, the pooling of, and when we talk about pooling, that's going to be like indentations, uh, where the fat that's rendering is collecting. And then that, and et- will probably eventually kind of take the spice and that bark away from that area. Right. Right. It, it makes a cup, literally a cup on the, the flat side of the brisket. And then that water sits there and, and boils, which also cools your brisket down, having that much moisture oh, on it. Um, I didn't even think about that. But in time, and if it starts cupping uh, too early before you've built bark, then you don't have a good chance of building any bark. Uh, and if you allow it to sit there without removing that that moisture, you will run the chance of actually removing the bark you already did build if you had bark is there are you looking for you know like i go to costco and i get my full pack of brisket and that can be any size you know they have smaller 12 pound size and then they've got 16 19 sometimes a 20 pounder um like is there kind of an optimal you're looking for probably uniformity in the pit. So they're kind of all finishing around the same time. Is that, is that one thing or is there a kind of a, an ideal size or is each one going to be different because they're all going to trim out a little different? Uh, they're all going to trim out a little different. There's no two briskets that are the same. Um, so I, I always tell people to buy a brisket for their, their specific smoker. Okay. Us in the industry, we have thousand gallon smokers. Uh, it doesn't matter if the brisket is, 20 pounds or 10 pounds will get it cooked. Um, you know, at home, it might be daunting to trim and season and cook a 18 pound brisket. It's going to be a pain for someone that doesn't know and it doesn't do it all the time. Uh, for us, we get boxes, ships. Um, it doesn't matter what it looks like. We're going to trim it down. Um, and there are, if you know how to trim, it doesn't matter what first you can start with. It's gonna, yeah. You're going to tend to have a good product as long as you have a good butcher that you're getting your meat from. All right. So so no real ideal weight that you're looking for because every everyone's different. You're pulling out a big box full of briskets and they're all going to be all different, different sizes. Um, and then when you guys go to season, you know, what I've kind of been told about Texas barbecue for the most part is salt and pepper. Yeah. I think pretty much all all barbecue I've had out here is going to be salt and pepper base. Um, yeah, we all I would say we all also add a little bit of extra stuff too. Um, yeah, the differences between blacks and uh, Rudy's or blacks and uh, Hurtado mm-hmm. uh, becomes a little different, and that something extra, right? But there's absolutely nothing. I some of the best brisket I've ever had has been strictly salt and pepper um there's nothing wrong with it at all it's it's great builds bark amazing smoke penetration is optimum it's great uh and then you guys are cooking on massive offsets there how many how many gallons or how many smokers are you guys running there daily at hurtados we have three thousand gallon offsets and then i have a thousand gallon rotisserie oh wow so that's a lot and those things are just packed full of meat all the time that's right we're running um i 
in Arlington, I'm doing the heavy cooks on the weekends and we're doing, you know, 70 to, to a hundred briskets a day. So we're, we're putting in work. That is insane. <clears throat> All right. So you've, uh, you've got them trimmed, you've got them seasoned, put them on the smoker, uh, and you guys are totally wood, wood fired, not propane assist, no. just offset. And you're running what wood there? It's all Texas post oak, all from Texas. Okay. Um, there's no yeah. propane assist, no no hookups for any of that. It's all old yeah. school. Uh, we even start it with a, a torch. We don't use any charcoal at all. There's no charcoal in our restaurant. Okay. For anybody that's wondering, no charcoal. Um, and then you, you start that process. So uh, on average, you're probably, are you, are you saying... You know, every brisket's different, but you're probably somewhere between a, what, probably on the small side, 10, 11 pounds, uh, trimmed, uh, maybe eight pounds, I don't know. And then going up to maybe 13, 14 trimmed somewhere in that, in that range. Um, what's that, what's that kind of that process like for you kind of start to finish once you put it on the smoker? Um, so, uh, as far as like their size goes. Just the, the smoking process, like what, what you're going to do at certain points and, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's, what's happening throughout the process, you know, to the fire, to, uh, temperature, to, you know, what you're, when you're pulling and wrapping, if you wrap those kind of things. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's no right or wrong way. So, um, you know, you're asking me, I'm going to tell you what, I, what I think it's. Yeah. You're the brisket boss. Tell me what to do. <laughs> Um, Boss me around, dude. So uh, I believe that we're only going to get smoke penetration in the brisket for about the first four hours. Um, so I'm going to typically run a dirty fire for the first four hours. And explain what a dirty fire is. Um, so you hear the term blue smoke all the time uh, in barbecue. And mm-hmm. uh, I think for brisket, it's kind of a misnomer. Um, for me anyways. Uh, I'm typically not running that blue smoke until I'm getting up into higher temperatures, like 275, 300 when I'm getting to the wrap uh, or post wrap. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be running, uh, a fire that's oxygen deprived, uh, so that it gives me a little bit darker of a smoke. It's going to fill the chamber up with more smoke flavor, mm-hmm. um, and this is going to vary on what kind of smoker you use and what kind of wood you use. I'm using post oak, which has a pretty mild smoke flavor. Um, so if you're using mesquite and you do this, it might have a flavor that you don't care for. Um, but that initial cold smoke that I'm, I'm cooking at, you know, 200 degrees, um, with, with kind of a more dirty fire, I believe is going to give me a better bark uh in my end product um and past the four hour mark um the brisket's not really taking on much smoke at that point yeah um so after four hours i'm typically focused completely on bark i'm gonna start looking for any briskets that indicate to me that they're gonna cup and i'm gonna start addressing that by reseasoning, by going every 15 to 30 minutes and making sure that I pull off the moisture on the flat, um, all the way through the stall. Mm. And that's sort of through the stall. All I'm looking at is my bark. I just want to get a good bark 
uh, with us because we're running, you know, sometimes 30 briskets in one pit. Uh, and there is a size difference like we talked about. I'll rotate uh, briskets around a few times during the cook, uh, during that, that mm-hmm. process. Once my briskets are stalling uh, pretty good, I don't like to touch them too much. Um, because the more you open your pit and the more you move your briskets during the stall, you're adding hours to your cook at that point. Yeah. So once they're really leaking, they're they're where they're going to be. And uh, then my little trick that I do that I don't see a lot of people doing is at about the wrap, when everybody would wrap at about 165 to 175, I feel that that's too early. So I'm going to rotate my briskets now lean towards the fire, not the position of where they are in the pit. I'm just going to mm-hmm. rotate them from moist side facing the fire to the lean side facing the fire. Okay. And I'm going to run them that way for an hour. Um, and that's going to get me to about that 185 range, which is where I like to wrap. Um, but it's also going by doing that, it's going to save my moist end from getting too charred. Sometimes okay. cutters will see that you've got that, um, that baseball on the moist end of a brisket. It's kind of shredding and that's because it's mm-hmm. been, it's been punched at by an offset for 10 hours straight and the fire has okay. been ramping up and it's just got a char on it. And so by rotating it for just an hour, um, it's not going to wreck my lean and it's not, and mm-hmm. it's going to save my moist end a little bit and it's going to allow me to render fat and build a better bark for an extra hour. Um, and that's really made a big difference for my cooks in the last year, I would say. Yeah. That, that, because it, it seems counterintuitive to everything that you would right. think you would want to keep that big mass of meat towards towards the heat to protect the flat um but the idea that like you said just getting kind of punched for 10 plus hours of of high heat or heat Mm -hmm. uh will have that effect of just becoming kind of that almost pot roasty shreddable kind of right uh you know point you said something about um when you remove the the liquid from anything that's pooling how, how are you doing is that just like literally like a paper towel that you're just kind of dabbing it with are you are you like raising it up and pouring it off like what's what's happening there yeah i'm, I'm gonna use a gloved hand and i'm gonna go in and and literally lift the brisket up on its side and give it a little shimmy in a shake okay and uh that's gonna get all the moisture to come off of it um and that's that's pretty much the go-to. That's that's the only way to do it that I know of. Uh, if you if you're dabbing like a paper towel or something, you're gonna get, remove some of that. Season. Right, exactly. Uh, and so your dirty smoke uh, about two hundred ish degrees, um, and for about four hours, and then at that point, I'll I'll, I'll, is I'll run two hundred degrees for about an hour. Um, okay, just to kind of warm the briskets up. Um, our briskets are coming from a fridge. Um, okay. Uh, so they didn't have time to really, you know, come up to room temperature and then get put on so that I feel like it's a little cheat. I get an hour to, to bring the briskets up to basically room temperature and mm-hmm. it's already starting to put color on it. Um, yeah. So I run that an hour and then after that, um, I'm running just a 
less oxygen rich fire for about three hours um, to get me to that fourth hour. But that's going to be at about 250 degrees. Okay. On an offset. And then you're um, past that. Are you, are you ramping that temp up? Are you getting it like to 275? Um, or then when you wrap, does it go even higher? Uh, Tim, in the past, I would always push briskets. And so I would say at about like the eight hour mark, I would bump them from 250 to 275. But now mm -hmm. that I've been rotating the leans towards the fire um, for that last hour, I've been keeping them straight at 250 until I wrap. Okay. And okay. I felt like that hasn't slowed me down. Uh, because I've been able to go further out of the stall um, without charring my moist end. And it's actually already starting to cook on the lean end like I would post wrap. So yeah. so then after um, an hour of that rotation, I'm going to wrap my briskets in butcher paper. And then I'm going to put them back lean towards the fire. And then I'm going to ramp up my, my offsets to between 275 and 300. And probably push more towards 300 most days. Yeah. And then you're uh, you're letting those things ride, and then pulling at a temp or pulling for for tenderness. What's what's kind of your and 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 maybe it's different for you guys because there's there's a more than likely an extended hold right. than maybe just the home cook who might be saying we're going to let that rest for two hours and then right you know we're going to slice it. For you guys, it might be several hours. Right. Yeah. You you should do what what works best for you and and prepare for for what you have ahead of you. So for yeah, for us, we're doing a ten hour rest. Uh, I'm wow. I'm gonna pull all by feel, and um, occasionally I'll put a probe in it. But I'll be honest, like I probably probe one brisket a month, maybe out of this. Like, so when you say feel, you're that's with your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not for like for me, probe or, or feel is I'm going to stick a probe in and I'm looking for that kind of peanut buttery consistency. Right. But, but because you've cooked thousands of briskets, you can, you can tell without using that little right. trick. Right. You're just kind of like, is this jiggling? <laughs> is it? Uh, I, you know, I have a, a few different things um, because, you know, you're, you're in an offset cooking 30 briskets, so you're going to have a various degree of temperatures. I try to pull them all perfect, but it's not always going to be there. So sometimes yeah. you can tell it's done before you do too much to it. Um, but typically I'll open the pit when I feel that they're going to be done after about two hours of wrapping. And I'm visually inspecting the paper to see how much moisture is on the paper. Uh, okay. I don't want them to be completely soaked and saturated and leaking out to me that means i failed my cook i wrapped too early um okay so i want a mostly dry paper and and mind you this is all cooking in on, uh, offsets um it's different if you're going to do a rotisserie or or any other cooker that's only different mm -hmm. than direct cooking um so i'm looking for kind of dry paper and then i'm looking for that lean side uh brisket to be laying flat on the grates because as you wrap, you're gonna most all of them are gonna have a little curl to them, and you're gonna see it in the paper. So by the time it's done, that corner should be laying flat on the grate. The whole brisket should be real flat. So that's another visual okay. inspection I'm looking at. Now at that point, I pick it up, um, and I'm grabbing it at the middle, and I want to feel kind of like a mattress feel when I pick that up. 
And at that point, I'm turning it upside down. I'm going to pull back a little bit of the paper and then I'm going to fill the, the outside edges of the wheat. And okay. uh, there's a ridge on each side. And specifically, your thicker side lean is going to have a more uh, concrete edge for longer. And once that edge is broken loose, then I'm happy pulling my brisket. All right. What what are mistakes that you feel that you see like home cooks or home uh, home barbecue aficionados making when it when it comes to that that pulling and that resting? Um, pulling and resting. I, you know, I don't know if it's a mistake or uh, just a difficulty. I have a hard time holding briskets at home as well. You know, warmers are very expensive. <laughs> And, um, so, you know, I've, I've put my briskets in my oven and put them on the proofing setting and they have gotten dried out and terrible. And I've done the towel wrap trick and it's, it's just difficult to keep a heated rest brisket at home. So I don't know if yeah. that's really a fault of their own. Uh, but I think people that pull their brisket off and then 15 minutes later slice into it, um, that's a mistake. That's a mistake a big mistake. Um, and then, uh, another one that home cooks are specifically, I guess the, the home cooks that post online, that irritate me is talking about the, the bark on their brisket when it is non-existent. You know, I'm not trying to be an elitist, but you know, there's, there's Texas bark and then there's not, you know, Gordon Ramsay putting out his brisket, calling it Texas bark on the brisket when it's, not even black yet. It's, you know, kind of like yeah. embarrassing, I think a little bit. Yeah. The, the, the English, you know, they, they really don't know barbecue and, but I mean, I feel as if he would have had to have visited Texas and had real Texas barbecue and know what he's comparing it to. I, I would hope I, so. Gordon Ramsay yeah. calling you out. Come to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Come to Texas. Look at this guy's stuff on, uh, on Instagram and tell me that your bark is better than brisket boss because it's, it's not, I guarantee you. Uh, it you. almost like, it almost looks like you have a filter, like a brisket bark filter on these things. It is just like so black and pretty and almost just shimmery. Like you can see there's, it, yeah. you know, and maybe you do this and you're not, you know, it almost looks like there's a, like a fine mist of like moisture on top of it. Like there's like, it's just, there's a glistening, mm -hmm. I guess would be the best way to describe it. So it's not dried out. Um, it is, but it's intense. You can just, I look at it and my mouth starts to water, just getting ready to taste that pepper and that, right. that salt and just, oh, oh, there's nothing better than Texas Thank you. brisket. I tell you what. I appreciate it. We, we work really hard at, at that part of, and we kind of, we feel brisket is, should be from Texas. You know, we, we kind of own yeah. it. And we want to be the best at it. And I know so many people do it great. Um, yeah. That's what we're really proud of is our Texas bark. There are so many incredible barbecue spots mm -hmm. in Texas. Uh, you know, Texas, um, Texas Monthly has their top 50 every year that people just, you know, look at uh, that barbecue operations want to be included in that. Um, it is It is known for for barbecue, for beef barbecue with, without a doubt. Um, you know, what, 
what do you think, you know, because I'm in Nashville, we have some folks here in Nashville that, that cook brisket, um, some really good, like there's some pit masters here, like some really, uh, Carrie, Carrie Bringle, Pat Martin, there's some, some good live fire folks. Uh, there's some other kind of up and coming, you know, I'll, I'll use, use the phrase and it's, it's, it's not meant to offend, but it's kind of like the people will know there's hipster barbecue, you know, craft, maybe craft barbecue, maybe is a better way to put it. Um, but guys that are, are producing some, some good things, but there's still something that's not Texas. And what, like, what is that? Because you're from California. It's not like this is in your DNA. <laughs> it wasn't like you were born and raised and, you know, instead of a pacifier, you had a piece of post oak in your mouth. Like it was like, but you're, you're coming here, you're, you're perfecting the craft, you're trying to, um, but yet people come to Tennessee and I just, I don't taste Texas barbecue in Tennessee. So what is it about it that doesn't necessarily to me translate? I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I could only guess. And my guess would be just in Texas, you could throw a rock and find somebody that's cooking outstanding brisket. Um, it's, it's blended up and put in our baby bottles here. And no, but um, no, everybody, even ch children here know about brisket. They know how it should be and how uh, they like it. And there's a huge yeah. culture of, of specifically brisket in Texas. It's, it's what brought me here. And uh, no, I know a lot of other places are famous for things like ribs or whole hog, you know, and, mm -hmm. and yeah. Texas, we just love our brisket here. And I think offsets are so prevalent uh, in Texas that uh, it aids to having brisket be our cook because you're really not going to get a Texas bark on anything besides an offset. Uh, it's going to be really yeah. difficult for you. Um, so that's why I think we have that, that bark that other places don't cause they're, you know, maybe using old hickories or something else. Right. Uh, all right. So you, um, you started out at Rudy's, spent a long time there. You really cut your teeth two weeks working at Rudy's. Right. Uh, then with all that experience, went to Terry Black's, uh, and then, uh, found your way to Hurtado. What's What's kind of next? Like, what's what's your goal? Like, what do you what do you want to do, uh, Mister Brisket Boss? I, I want to master the cook of brisket. Um, I I specifically want to, you know, I I feel weird saying it, but I want to be one of the best brisket cooks in the world. Um, that's really my goal. Uh, I I try to stay humble, and I'm nowhere near there yet but I'm just going to keep working until, uh, I either get there or I die, you know? And, and, yeah. uh, once I get there and I feel that, you know, I've, I mastered the cook a brisket, then I'd really like to go down to the whole hog. Um, okay. But that's a distant future that, uh, I'm nowhere near yet. I'm very focused on my brisket cooks and getting better every day. Um, keeping my consistency as high as possible. So, you mentioned earlier that you uh, you did martial arts. Mm -hmm. You know, in martial arts, there are uh, there's belts. You know, you start at a you know brown belt or what, and then you move up, and, and a black belt is is the is where you want to go. And I think there's different levels. I'm, I'm not much of a 
a martial artist art, arts person, but I think there's there's a black belt and there's levels, right? Of 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 black beltness. Right. Degre- degrees, um, yeah. Degrees. Mm-hmm. There you go. Not levels. Degree. Yeah. So you're uh you know, what how do you measure mastering a brisket? You know, there's there's no federation that's going to say you're now a you know, a level six brisket cook. Um you know, I, I kind of, I go by a quote, um, that, uh, I heard a while ago and I, I say it often, but it's, it's, and I'm not going to quote it perfectly. I'm sure it's been done a thousand times, but something to the effect of, you know, um, being good is, is doing something right. Being able to do something right once, um, being great is never not being able to do it right. Mm. Um, so I, I feel that would be a good marker of when, um, I'm turning out perfect briskets, uh, all the time, consistent, consistently on, uh, a long-term basis. And I don't have any more mess ups. Um, and I would say that I'm, I'm at a pretty good level where I don't have any more huge failures, but I still turn out brisket that I'm not happy with. Um, I, uh, I have to work at things. I, I make mistakes. Um, I wrap too early on certain briskets sometimes. Um, it happens and it's, that's the hardest part of barbecue is consistency. Um, and so that's where I'm at, you know, just trying to get to the point where, um, month to month to month, I can't think of a cook that uh, I wasn't ecstatic with. Uh, so people obviously can find your your barbecue there at uh, Hurtado, and and which location are you at? I, I cook um, I cook for both the locations at Fort Worth and okay. uh, in Arlington. Okay, um, and so should people just call ahead and be like, "Hey, is Brisket Boss cooking there today? Do they know that you're Brisket Boss?" Uh, with the people answering the phone, no, know no. who they're. <laughs> no, um, and then do you? Uh, for for folks maybe maybe in that area, do you do like still some like side hustle catering kind of things, uh, or is or is or are you just too busy at the restaurant? Uh, well, I'm too busy at the restaurant, but I still try and uh, occasionally pick up a catering when it works into my schedule. Um, yeah. So uh, so far, I haven't done very many. I was doing more before, um, but I. I have a lot of hours, so um, yeah. And trying to work out that with catering, I don't want to affect my uh, my job, uh, my day yeah. job. Uh, that's very important to me. I, I, you know, I call it my restaurant. It's not my restaurant, but um, right. but you take ownership in in what's being put out there, especially when it's the brisket. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Are you cooking other things there or just only brisket? No, I, I do. You know, it's, it's the brisket cook cause that's the premier cook, but I, I cook, uh, the pork butts. Um, I cook all the beef ribs. Um, okay. and then I, I make all the, the birria, uh, currently in her tub. Uh, birria. I, I, <laughs> up until today, I think I said it wrong. I think I said birria. Oh, uh, don't uh, don't quote me because uh I, well i think you would know i think the people at hurtado would tell you if you're saying it wrong uh, i i'm not sure but uh i'm sure there's somebody <laughs> i'm from tennessee i don't know what i'm talking yeah, about i'm sure there's somebody that would 
give us both a lesson on the absolute perfect way to say it. And they would roll their R's and they'd make it sound really fancy. Uh, let's ask Gordon Ramsay what he thinks. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> uh, so if people uh, in your area wanted to reach out about a catering, which would be, which is tough because you know it's not like you're like, hey, I'm a mac and cheese caterer and I can whip up some mac and cheese in three hours. Somebody's coming to you to cook barbecue, to cook brisket. Like it's a labor intensive mm-hmm. overnight type cook. Right. And you've it's you know it takes you two days to do a catering almost the day that you're making it the day you're preparing it uh so uh i mean they could i guess reach out on on instagram absolutely uh send you a dm and 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 talk to you about it absolutely um well man this this has been amazing uh i i have learned so much i love your passion uh for brisket for barbecue um makes me want to jump on a plane and come taste some of your brisket uh, because it, uh, it, and, and the pictures are amazing. Seriously, go follow him. Uh, it, it looks great. Uh, we, we like to finish with a little bit of a, a bonus round, if you will. Um, just some quick questions, nothing too serious. Okay. Um, but you know, we're, may the smoke be with you. It's kind of, uh, an homage, a parody to, to star Wars, mm-hmm. Uh, and barbecue, those two things kind of met and had a love child, and it's this Instagram account. Uh, so, are, did did you grow up a Star Wars fan? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, what's your, what's your favorite movie? Yeah, I mean, you got to go with the classics. So, Empire, right? Yeah. Okay. I think overall, Empire is. I, I need to go back and like do an official like tally, but I feel like Empire Strikes Back is kind of the the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, most most folks have. I've kind of uh, gone towards towards that one. Um, who's who's your favorite character or characters? I, I'm a, a dark side of the forest guy, so oh, no. I'm a Vader fan for sure. To and through. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I guess I mean that's fine. I mean, you make black bark. That's what it all makes sense. You're in the dark, the dark side, the dark meats, the dark barks. Like, like I get the it. Cook at night. Um, yeah, there's a dark thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right so you are overnight cooks like you're like what time do you go in i usually go in at, at about 2 p.m and then i i leave when the when everything's done so sometimes it's as late as four in the morning or oh wow yeah. okay so you're, all right <laughs> and then are you, then you just go home you try to get the smoke spell off of you and go to bed that's right that's exactly what i do <laughs> Is there a trick to getting the, like, is there a soap that you should use to get that off? I, I'm not the one to ask because that's, <laughs> Cause that's my cologne. Uh, everyone, <laughs> everyone, it doesn't matter how many showers I take. Uh, I'm going to smell like smoke, which 24 seven. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully your, uh, your, your girlfriend or wife uh, appreciates the smell of smoke. She does. I, I, yeah. I don't okay. She, good. <laughs> good. Um, you know, one question I normally ask, and it's not somebody who does this full time is, uh, when you're when you're cooking, what are you drinking? You're probably not drinking at work. Uh, you're probably drinking water, tea, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but if you're doing a casual cook, uh, with, with the, the bros on the weekend, uh, what are you enjoying while you're cooking? I'm, uh, I'm actually sober. Uh, so, okay. so I'm congratulations. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's a struggle, <laughs> but I, I am okay. sober and, uh, how long? I, I haven't had anything to drink in four months now. I know kind of early, Congrats, but man. you know, it's a, it's a thing with all of us pit guys, a lot of restaurant people, we drink a lot every single yeah. day and 
enough is enough kind of a thing for me. But, you know, yeah. I support everybody that wants to do what they want to do. I don't judge. Good for you. Um, but since we're on the theme, I'll, I will tell you my pitmaster punch that I make. Um, okay. And it's, it's a summertime drink. Uh, okay. So we're lucky enough. Brandon takes care of us and he has Powerade for us. Uh cooled already in our in our beverage dispenser so i'll fill up a cup halfway with powerade and then i'll hit it with a little bit of lemonade and then a, a red bull and uh, oh, that'll get you going yeah if i need to wrap fast if uh, i'm having kind of a sluggish day that that yeah. gets me going pretty good but typically yeah especially in the summer it's it's water and then maybe uh half powerade half water and then water and sometimes yeah especially as hot as it is there right now Golly. yeah Guys have just been hit so hard. Yeah, sometimes it's 120, and uh, we're out there drinking pickle juice and whatever we can drink to stop the heat cramps and stay hydrated. Yeah, wow, you guys are athletes, yeah. pitmaster athletes. You know, well, I mean, I guess round is a shape, right? <laughs> uh, I think I might know where you go on this. Although something you said later in the podcast makes me think something a little different, but I think I know which direction you'll go. If you could only eat one region of barbecue for the rest of your life, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's Carolinas, it's Georgia, it's Memphis, it's Kansas city, uh, it's Texas. Um, where are you going? Well, in the words of the, the good man, George Strait, take me to Texas. Um, absolutely. That's, uh, I love Texas. Um, I'm a political refugee from my other state. And yeah. uh, I'm so thankful to have been welcomed into this amazing state and this amazing food and this amazing barbecue scene. I really love Texas. I'll never leave. I love it. Uh, and so, uh, one last question: What do you uh, in the in the pit room? What are you listening to? What's the, what's your music of choice that keeps you going? Um, you know, I I'm a podcast person, so okay. I'm listening to a lot of podcasts. I don't know. Yeah. Like may the smoke be with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I like to listen to Joe Rogan and, uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes I get into some alien podcasts, but it, you know, it depends in Arlington. I'm working with, uh, with another guy. He really likes, uh, music. So whatever he's on typically, but if I'm by myself, right. it'll be a podcast. Listen to some Joe Rogan as you're, and Hey, you only need like a couple of those and it just about gets you through right. a, through a whole shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, man, this was uh, this was great. Thanks so much uh, for joining me. Uh, it was I learned so much. I hope the listeners learned a ton too. As I mentioned before, Brisket Boss is his name. Cody Scott is his alter ego. It's uh, I think Brisket Boss is just BB is what he should is his new nickname. Uh, but Cody, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, stay cool in Texas. I know it's just been brutal out there for you guys. Thanks for uh, being passionate about what you do. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And as always, may the smoke be with you. Thanks for listening to the May the Smoke Be With You podcast with Joe Levitt.